All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, a college football podcast that drops to you on Sundays because we know every Sunday we just need to talk more college football. I, I felt like there was not a ton of college football content that was coming out on Sundays, and so I wanted to deliver that to you. And as we have stated before, once we get into SEC spring football games, we will review those the same way that we did games in the fall. And if you didn't catch us in the fall, basically, I get through the tape as quickly as possible, and then I let you know what I saw on the tape from every SEC team uh, throughout the course of that weekend. So we will do that for spring games because there'll be different players, different things. We might see some stuff on scheme uh, that we want to talk about and spend some time on. Speaking of scheme, we're going to talk about that today. Obviously, A&M is now rolling. I think every school in the league is going in spring practice. Um, we mentioned Arkansas, Mississippi State were going last week. We've talked about Florida. We've talked about Mizzou and Vandy. Alabama got going this week, so it's it's full go. It's busy. Previewed Kentucky last week. Um, a lot of you on board after that one, and we appreciate the love there, whether it was the comments, the tweets, at Cube Show. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Also, at Cube Show 61, technically, on YouTube. Please subscribe. Leave your comments. I love the feedback. It's been fantastic, and I'm going to continue trying to interact with you guys. So, Scheme, something Jimbo talked about a lot. We're going to get to that as they roll into spring practice. We're going to preview Texas A&M for our spring preview series today. And it'll just be A&M today because it's a lot. There's a lot to go through. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, before we get to that, uh, some other news that came down uh, over the course of the week. Not a lot of coaching stuff going on. Uh, not a lot of real news either way. It's not. It hasn't been a real newsy week. In the SEC, uh, Jamar Cain is going to be hired out of LSU um, as their defensive line coach to be a pass rush specialist at Oklahoma. I just saw that one come down from Matt Zenitz, so I wanted to get that one on the show. If you don't follow Matt Zenitz, by the way, everything that breaks from a college football coaching perspective, he's usually on top of that. He's fantastic. Uh, at M Zenitz via Twitter. So LSU will be looking for a new coach. Eli Drinkwitz. He joined my morning radio show with Greg McElroy, McElroy and Kublik in the morning. You can hear that 7 to 10 a.m. weekday mornings on Jocks 94.5 in Birmingham. Uh, JocksFM.com is where you can listen. And we asked him about their spring game that was kind of canceled. It was moved indoors. He said he feels great about quarterback position. He likes the fact that he's got three or maybe more competing, um, not ruling anybody out. He feels like the defensive front has picked up right where they left off last year. Loves moving Luther Burden inside. He really feels like he was bummed about losing Dominic Lovett. You could tell uh, because when we asked about Burden going inside, he kind of referenced um, the accolades that came with Dominic Lovett. You could just tell in his tone that was one that stung a little bit. You think he would have really liked to have had him back in Como? I mean, who wouldn't? Because from a leadership standpoint, he's a fantastic dude. Uh, and obviously, you know what the production was like. Uh, but talked about Burden going inside. They'll be able to get him more touches. They'll force him to football in some different ways. It'll be really nice for him and I think the offense. And he was just kind of pleased with everything. And one of the things that we asked him about that I thought was interesting that I haven't heard a lot of discussion about was them playing Memphis in St. Louis. Now, I had the Battlehawks, the XFL team in St. Louis. I had their home opener. Uh, for the XFL this year, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to tell you, like 40,000 people, it was loud. I mean, it was, there, there wasn't a lot of checking at the line of scrimmage. The communication devices were, weren't enough sometimes, a lot of hand signals. So uh, Mizzou playing a game there, especially against Memphis, I think, which is a, 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 it's a pretty good non-con opponent. 
Um, I think it's going to draw a good crowd. And when we asked him about it, see if you catch it here. This is what Eli Drinkwitz had to say about playing in St. Louis this year and how important St. Louis is to him going forward. Yeah, I think since I've been here, I've been adamant about how uh, impactful we believe St. Louis can be on the University of Missouri. And that's really what was dri- the driving force in us getting this game. We've recruited that that city very heavily. Uh, we've invested in that city very heavily and, and uh, just really excited to, to give our chance, uh, give our fans a chance to show up and give St. Louis a chance to show up. And and I believe it's going to be something that's very consistent for us. Um, you know, we, we need to tap into that market um, from a fan base and a revenue generating standpoint. So I do think it's something that will be consistent. So what I, what I like there, and I don't know if you caught it, this is something that will be consistent for us going forward. So I took that as Eli saying, it might not be planned out. It might not be scheduled out very far, but he wants to do this as much as possible. He knows how important St. Louis is in recruiting. You can tell guys you're going to play at home, going to be able to go play in the Dome. It gives them uh, a way for maybe a more attractive sort of neutral side game, quote unquote, for a non-conference opponent to come play. So maybe you get a bigger opponent or it's easier to draw that opponent in. A lot of different things there that I thought were interesting. And he, well, you heard him go on to say how important St. Louis is from a recruiting standpoint, their fan base. And they want to do as much as they can to be able to help that and sort of, you know, continue to father that relationship moving forward. So pretty cool just from Eli, because we talked about Missouri a couple of weeks ago and had a chance to catch up with him on our show. As you guys know, we're always brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. You can find them in your local grocery store. If you don't, just go check out the website and you can have them drop shipped to your house. These things are phenomenal. We snack on them. We eat them. We have different dishes with them. The Instagram at Wickles Pickles. They've got uh, recipes that you can go check out. Fantastic. We love Wickles Pickles, and we greatly appreciate them being the title sponsor of the show. All right, so let's get to Texas A&M. There's a lot to unpack with this team, and we'll start with last year. a little bit of a disappointment rolling into the offseason. There is a laundry list of players in the portal leaving that we could discuss, but only a couple, I think, are truly going to be impactful. Do I think Anthony Lucas, who's going to USC as a defensive lineman, could have helped? Yes. Chris Marshall, a wide receiver, who's going to Ole Miss? Yes. Denver Harris, a corner, who's going to LSU? Yeah. Talent-wise, they could have. But I'll say this. Those last two, um, maybe a little bit of addition by subtraction with all-encompassing portions of it being locker room, weight room teammates around the facility, that that kind of thing. Not saying the talent's not there because it absolutely is, but that might not be the worst. A lot of people are going to point to situations like that. No, oh, it's so bad. It's terrible. Not always as bad as you think sometimes when you're getting a certain guy or certain kind of guy out of your facility and you just wipe your hands and move on. That's it. We're done. LJ Johnson, a tailback going to SMU. He's going to play there. He's going to be helpful. I think he's a guy that maybe could have helped A&M a little bit, like P.J. Williams going to SMU. He's going to help some. You know, He'll be a guy that, that definitely helps there, that, that's going to play and be uh, one of their best offensive tackles that they had. And with all the guys down in spring on the offensive line, he maybe could have been a big help to A&M progressing his career during this spring practice. But none of those are going to mean the difference between two, three games in the win or loss column for A&M this year. Collectively, we'll talk about depth some, and there are certain guys like a 
I don't know, you Keith Brown that maybe could have added some depth at wide receiver, but is he dynamic and going to change who they were offensively? No, I don't think so. So I'm not overly concerned about some of that. Um, you know, you had Haynes King, a guy that's played a lot of quarterback for you, but with him potentially not winning the job, do I think he was going to beat out Connor Wegman? No, I don't. Um, I, I think Wegman's more talented and looks to be a better quarterback. I think he has a brighter future. But you got a guy that's, you know, an in-state kid whose dad is a high school football legend, head coach, going back and forth. It's, once again, that might end up being a, a net positive in the long term just because of everything that came with that. And Haynes is a great kid. We sat down and talked to him. Um, you know, very respectful, very humble. And, you know, wants to do the best, wants to go out there and give it his all and make things right. And, and, and I respect him as a competitor, but just with all of it that's involved, might be a net, another net positive sort of moving forward. So there, you're going to see the number of portal guys exiting and people are going to flip out about that. And people are going to say how bad it is and that they're scared of it. And it means terrible things for Jimbo. Not all of it. Now, you don't want to lose that much depth. And you don't want to have guys who decided to come play for you not want to play for you anymore. I, I get that, but there are just there's a larger number in there that may end up being better off for them and for AM in the long term. So just kind of keep that in mind. So let's move forward to sort of this team in the spring. There's a lot to get to with just the talent as well. And I want to start with the press conference that Jimbo had to sort of open up spring. And I didn't initially hear it. But I saw Twitter react to it, and of course, it was very negative, and a lot of folks were mad. So I'll back up even a little further than that. I played for Jimbo Fisher at Auburn. He was our offensive coordinator. He was our quarterback coach. Certain people have debated him being the offensive coordinator. Trust me, he was. Uh, it may have gone through Terry Bowden, but Jimbo was running our offense. He was the OC. And so I, I've been around him long enough, known him long enough. I've, now I've covered him as an analyst and and. You know, a guy who's had his games and been around his teams and talked to him in different ways, whether it's, you know, in-game interviews, before the game, after the game, you know, meetings before, during the week, whatever it is, I've been around him plenty. I've kept in touch with him. So I got a pretty good feel for sort of what he is. And right out of the gate, he was asked about Bobby Petrino coming in and he, he, he interrupts uh, the initial reporter here. This is Olin from Texags. And talks about the fact of, of what they're going to do in the spring. So this was, this was the first question out of the gate for Jimbo Fisher into spring practice. Jimbo, how much difference can we, can, uh, with our bases in the, in the offense and how much? Control, nah, we ain't worried about, here's what we're doing. How much control is Bobby at? We're running our thing. We're going to be base fundamentals. We ain't getting in the scheme. We ain't getting in anything. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to practice, what we're going to do on a daily basis. What we put in that day. And then we'll be based on how you execute your scheme is what's talking about fundamentals. Okay, so he says they're going base, fundamentals, no scheme, focusing on execution. I Okay. Um, some of this is coach speak. So don't take Jimbo getting a little bit frustrated there and interrupting somebody and maybe not answering it exactly the way it was asked. Jimbo's frustrated. He's frustrated because he he probably knew this had to be made. He knew this change needed to come. And just take it for yourself, whatever it is. Um, if you're going on a diet, you got to give up pizza or chips and salsa, ice cream, whatever it is. Like, you don't, nobody likes that. N nobody enjoys that. Uh, like for me, I, after I had my third back surgery, I had to give up golf. Like I liked playing golf. I didn't, I didn't like the fact that I can't play golf anymore. So when, when something is either taken from you 
or you know you have to give it up that you enjoy, that you like, and hell, that you've done your entire life, you're not going to, that's not going to make you happy. So I think inherently Jimbo went into this with a little bit of a mat on, a little bit frustrated and upset. And I just didn't take some of it the way that a lot of other people did. Now, that execution part rolled into this comment, which was a little bit alarming for me. Jimbo kind of asked about um, just sort of how the two offenses are going to mesh. And it sounded like this. At the end of the day, we all we believe in one thing, execution. So at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Right, an over route's an over route, a dig's a dig. How you get there, what you do. And it's we get so caught up in it. It's not scheme, it's execution. And then that goes back to how do you execute? Fundamentals, alignment, assignment, technique, no matter what you do. And if you and if you want to know technicals, if you go watch everybody in the country, everybody does the same thing. Go watch film. If you sit down and watch film, there's not a hill of beans between anybody. As far as what goes on, what routes are, what plays are, it's a counter is a counter. A dig and a post is a dig and a post. A verticals are verticals. I mean, it's all the same. It gets back to execution and fundamental. All right. Now, this one is a little bit alarming. So take both of these, for example. Now, you know, I'm in baseball. If you're a fan of Major League Baseball, and I even do it in minor league baseball sometimes, we always had this turn back the clock day, right? And I remember collecting baseball cards as a kid. I think it was like the 87, 86 tops or whatever, like 85 tops. They always had like the turn back the clock cards. Just like and either they would like superimpose an old uniform or have an old player, whatever that was. You have turn back the clock day in Major League Baseball, they wear the alternate uniforms. You wear like those little wool uniforms and like the bill of the cap only comes out like this far. Wouldn't it feels like it wouldn't even block the sun? The old logos, like the White Sox had the softball shorts, or you wonder if they're ever going to bring those back. You can only do that so many times a year. You can only turn back the clock so many times. So part of this that scares me a little bit is that. From a practice perspective, you can only go back to the, well, we're starting from scratch. We're going base fundamentals. We're just going technique. We're not going to run scheme. You can only do that so much. At some point in time, you have to hop into that DeLorean, hit the flux capacitor, and set the date for today's college football. Like You have to get into today. And not saying that they won't. This is not an accusation that Texas A&M can't get into modern football. But I also, I don't, and I'm all about fundamentals and technique. And you have, yes, you have to know that alignment, assignment, effort. I get all of that. And it's all great. It's all good. But the other portion of this that makes me a little bit nervous is the part about, you know, all plays, all offenses being the same. Watch the film, like he says. I, I, that concerns me because the, the part that worries me is, yes, a dig is a dig. A counter is a counter. Like you got two backside pullers. The back's going to take hit step and then he's going to go the opposite direction i understand that a slant's a slant you're right but if it was j- if it was all really the same and it was all just what it was then when we turned all the games on would it all not look exactly the same from start to finish and that's where it's different because yes it's not about a dig being different from any other dig or a toss sweep being any different from any other toss sweep or stretch play not being different from any other stretch play but what it is about is the presentation. That's what has to change. So the formations, the movement, shifts, motions, that's got to change. Maybe even add a little bit of tempo into that every now and then. Whatever it is, he's right in the fact that a lot of people are doing a lot of the same stuff and making it look different. But the way they make it look different is through the presentation. 
And that's got to move into today's college football. It's, it's for A&M, that step has to be made. And I get a, I get a, a tiny bit concerned when I hear verbiage like that. And also, I know, listen, Jimbo's a little hard-headed. It's fine. All these coaches are stubborn because they all believe their way works. That's why it's not – you hear all these coaches go to a certain place. Why would he go there? Why would, Barry Odom, why would he go to UNLV? Barry Odom thinks his way works. So he thinks he can go there and make it work. It's not hard to understand, but it's also hard sometimes for those guys to understand that certain things need to change. And Jimbo's offense in general, the base level of it, the core, the foundation of it, that doesn't necessarily have to change. The presentation does. And Bobby Petrino can change that. And then finally, one more from that press conference. Uh, This is part of the quote that everybody got mad at, but then the part nobody wanted to talk about is on the back end of this. And everybody just cut that out and didn't even pay attention to it. This was Jimbo when asked again about sharing play calling duties. Trying to see that you guys a little more comparable so you feel the execution will be there better. Hopefully. I mean, that's what we're here to try to Based off our fundamentals and our work habits and what we do on a daily basis, that's what we'll get back to. And, and what about who ma- who makes the play calls? Would that be him or you? Yeah, I mean, we'll go through that as we go. Go back to the back. They don't have him making calls. They don't him calling plays. I have no problem with that at all. So you hear... The initial quote of, well, we'll, we'll get to that when we'll let that happen, whatever it takes place, whatever it was. Then you hear him right there say, I got no problem with him calling plays. Like that's what he's being brought in for. No one wanted to report that. Nobody wanted to talk about that. Jimbo Fisher, the head coach at AM, just told the media in a press conference, the guy's going to call plays and he doesn't have any problem calling plays. Now, is there an issue down the road? Gus Malzahn, Rhett Lashley thing. Ah, I personally don't see it. And this is one reason that I think Bobby Petrino is a good hire for Texas A&M. You guys have heard me talking about an FU coach, and every coach needs one. Somebody who can go to the head coach and have the, the best of the program in mind always and say, hey, coach, FU, we don't need to do it that way anymore. Or, hey, coach, FU, don't say that anymore. Like, there are certain coaches... They used to say things in press conferences that they had an FU coach that could grab them by the arm before they went in there and said, don't say this again. Probably still be making six, $7 million coaching in the SEC. So whether it's personnel, plays, the way plays are called, who's calling them, who's coaching, getting rid of a coach, a player playing, you got to, what you're saying to the media, how you talk to the media, you always have to have that guy that can help you with that. I'm going to tell you, Bobby Petrino, to an extent, can be that guy. Because Petrino will bite back. I mean, these two will butt heads, and that's not all bad. I'm just telling you right now, that's not all terrible. Everybody's going to say, whoo, some of these meetings, some of these staff meetings are going to be violent. Maybe we're throwing notepads, markers going to be flying, and dry erasers all over. Good. Because Jimbo needs someone at times, sometimes, not all the time, not just as a head coach in general, but with certain things to stand up and say, no, we need to do this. We got to do this. And if Bobby Petrino, either one, is that guy that Jimbo will just listen to, which some of the quotes in his initial pressure, it sounds like he will, or two, is a guy that will stand up to him and say, no, not doing it that way. We're doing it this way. Might cost him his job. But if he stands up to him with the best of the offense in mind, that's a good thing for A&M. And Bobby Petrino has the personality and the don't give a rip to do it. Therefore, it could be a positive. The whole Adazio thing hanging around as the offensive line coach, listen, I've, 
it was one year. You lost like three or four starters in the first three or four games, whatever it was. Like you didn't have your same group. You got younger guys playing a little bit of difference in in coaching style, technique, fundamentals, and then just the the way that they were coached. Adazio, I like it. I love Adazio. I've been around him a lot. He's a fun guy. He's hard-nosed. He's old school. He's you went from a coach that is very loving, very caring that is very in tune with today's college football and how to talk to guys to an old school guy, a little bit of an MFer that gets after you and that will bite your face off. Sometimes it takes a while for that to be accepted or understood or coach be able to take the coaching the right way. See if year two, maybe it happens a little bit more. Maybe he backs off a tad. Maybe the kids know it's not as big of a deal and it works out just a little bit more. But I'm not is concerned about that as some other people are. One last thing on the coaching staff. Bringing Jim Chaney into this offense could be great. I love Jim Chaney. One, I love the personality. And think about some of the other personalities that we have in this facility. We talked about Petrino. We talked about Jimbo. We talked about Adazio. Those are guys that will fight you in an alley. And those are guys that don't really back down very easily. Then here comes the lovable Teddy Bear, Teddy Ruxpin, uh, fun-loving, like, comedian in the corner, Jim Chaney. This dude will lighten up the room, and that could also be a positive. He also knows offense, and the parts that Jim Chaney was most successful with were moving pieces around, finding matchups, using formations, and understanding where you could take advantage of a defense. Just having him as a sounding board, I'm going to say right now, that I think is going to be a real positive. So, those are some of the things behind the scenes I think are going to be great for AM. And I just kind of wanted to clear the air on what I thought about that press conference from Jimbo because I do think some of it went the wrong way. And I think there's also part of Jimbo that a lot of people just don't understand. And I have a little bit of that in my background and I wanted to share that. So I'm not as worried about it either from trading play calls or the understanding of is it going to go back and forth? I doesn't bother me as much. And I also know he went into that whole thing pissed off. Just and that's fine. I wouldn't want to give it up either. But if he has come to the understanding that it's time to and he's made a good decision to go do it, then things might be heading in the right direction. Let's get to the team. All right. So in from the portal, out of all the out of the portal, Tony Grimes at corner, I think can help. Uh, Sam McCulloch, he's out of North Carolina. Sam McCulloch, Florida State, I think can help. Tyron Smith, receiver out of UTEP. I think when he saw a nice Smith come back, kind of, eh, not sure. Very shifty, slot guy, very quick. We actually previewed him a couple pods ago when we were talking about transfers coming in. I went and watched him. Uh, he's quick. He's elusive. He can turn short, quick, intermediate stuff into explosive plays. But Jimbo said in that press conference, he might not be back. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do. I think Anaya Smith being there, probably big reason for that. All right, so we know what quarterback looks like. Connor Wigman, Max Johnson, and Connor's going to be the guy. I think he can make all the throws. I think he has the demeanor, the attitude to be a really good college quarterback. I talked to Damian about him. I've talked to Jimbo about him. Uh, I've watched him in person. I've studied his film. And I think he's he's got what it takes to be a big-time quarterback in this league. Um, a little more understanding of the offense and how it operates, probably going to help him. I think Petrino with some of the quick stuff, spreading things out a little bit at times, can also help him. But he's a big-time athlete. He's driven, he's motivated, and he has all the tools to be a great SEC quarterback. Now he just needs to be on the same page with everybody else, and he needs a healthy offensive line because he didn't have that last year, and a lot of it wasn't really fair to ask him to be that guy in those situations based on what everything else around him had turned into. Speaking of that offensive line, there's a chance this thing's really good. 
Um, but I'm worried about how it went backwards last year. Leighton Robinson went backwards last year. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not picking on a kid. Everybody who loves A&M knows a couple of years ago, I labeled him a war daddy. I thought that's what he was. I mean, the guy was, I mean, he, he looked like a bulldozer at times. Love the way that he played, but last year just didn't look the same. Ruben Fatherly did not move forward last year. He did not progress. And as a freshman, I thought he looked great. I thought he was going to be the next star along the offensive line in the SEC. He's got a long way to go now based on what we saw with a little bit of regression last year. So Bryce Foster's not going to get the go at center. He's going to be banged up. Uh, obviously, he had knee surgery, so he's not going to miss. He's going to miss spring ball. But now Mark Naboo is working at center, who is big, strong, powerful, that these guys really like. Maybe Naboo stays, and all of a sudden you got a little more oomph in the middle of this offensive line. I don't know. Some of that probably depends on Dewberry at one guard and Robinson at the other guard and, and how they take to that and what they go out there and do. But you've got Bryce Foster with experience there that you know can handle things, manage things, get everybody set. He's not a guy with a ton of power, raw ability. Uh, so now you got a little bit of depth, and that's what this spring will do and will allow for A&M heading into the fall. Um, Trey Zoo's not going through spring either, so you have some different bodies working there at left tackle, but I do think he ends up being the starter when they come out of this thing because you know he, he did a pretty good job. Wyckoff's not going to go through spring, so that hurts a little bit too. But you've got numbers on this offensive line. You've got a lot of guys that played a lot of football. Once they get everybody healthy, whether it's towards the end of spring, through the summer, into fall camp, and they get reps together, this group has a chance to be pretty good. I'm excited about the potential for the A&M offensive line. I just need to see them do it together for an extended period of time consistently, and we didn't get that last year. Next to those guys, a position that I had been a little bit concerned about, maybe not quite as much anymore, tight end. Uh, Jaden Platt might go a little bit later in the spring. Max Wright's going to be out. Max Wright's not dynamic. Um, you a bit of a hard hat guy can help you do a little bit of the dirty work in different places. Not a, not a, not an overpowering blocker, but I think he has a good idea of where to be, how to get there, the fundamentals that go with it. So I think he's a valuable leadership piece on the offense when you need him. You're not going to use him all the time. Uh, so I'm interested to see kind of where that plays out because you've got, You've got Donovan Green. You've got Jake Johnson. Green kind of in between the two that we'll talk about. Johnson, the more athletic, but can he hold up physically? Maybe Johnson becomes more of a move guy. The positive that I'm going to find in this is that you do have options. And we've seen Bobby Petrino be successful with a mobile quarterback, with zone read stuff, with RPO stuff, more pro style, more play action, uh, run heavy, more spread personnel. So he is going to build this thing around the most impactful players that he can have on the field at the same time. If that means 12, 13 personnel, that's what they'll be. I don't think it'll be that. If that means four or five wide the majority of the time, that's what they'll be. So good news is you've got some numbers to work with. None of them are takeover guys or super matchup problems, maybe other than Johnson, but you've got guys that you can use in different ways that can do different things, have different skill sets, and that's going to be a plus moving forward. If the old line's rolling, you're going to want to use some of those guys to give you different services to be able to run the football into. Running the football, uh, Le'Veon Moss, a guy last year, Jimbo, and, and everybody else raved about. Um, we had him at South Carolina. They wanted to play him then. I think they talked about how just the dynamic he was and the power that came with the way that he ran. I think he's got all the ability to be the guy, but here comes Ruben Owens, the freshman, that now could end up being the guy, and I think he'll give it a push. Um, then you also have Anaya Smith, who you're going to be able to use as a bit of utility player, Line him up in different places. 
Here's the real positive. I, I, I just went through two backs who I think could play and potentially carry the load. We went through a couple of tight ends, so we know that. We go to receiver, and obviously you're going to get Evan Stewart, you're going to get Moose Muhammad, and you're going to get Noah Thomas. There's not maybe as much depth there as there has been in the past. Like losing a chase lane to Georgia Tech hurts a little bit because he, he probably could have gotten you, I don't know, 20, 30 balls and giving you when, you, when you do extend out and go four or five sets, maybe he's one of those guys. But now you've got an Anaya Smith that if you wanted to line him up in the backfield, if you want to go two back and motion him out, you can line him up in the slot, different places in the slot, motion him, get him the ball that way, quick throws, try and take the top off the field. And because of the way most teams are rolling coverages, by the way, if you go listen to Eli Drinkwitz, that interview on Mac and Cube in the morning, the podcast, at Apple podcast, wherever you get yours, he talks about this, the way a lot of people are playing two deep safety coverage, that slot fades are becoming the, the weapon of choice. And that's where a nice myth will be against what most defenses are running. So he brings extra value. He's going to be the utility player, the Swiss Army knife, the do-it-all guy, and he's dynamic. And it's what this offense needs is to become more dynamic in different ways. And if Bobby finds different ways to utilize motion to get matchups, which we needed more of last year, he can be a perfect one to be able to do that. So I think receivers in great shape, maybe not as deep as it's been some other years, but the top end talent is fine. And you have a move guy that can do different things that you're going to force feed the football at times. And all of a sudden he gives you matchup issues everywhere. And that potentially gets you single coverage on Evan Stewart or Moose Muhammad, whatever. So a lot of that sounds pretty good to me. And I think that as long as everybody finds a way to get close to the same page with how they're calling it, how they're lining it up, how they're running it, what they want to use guys for, things got a chance to be pretty good. Over to the defense. With Durkin back, I don't think there's as much to be concerned about because a lot of folks just heard oh, this Marcus Burris kid's going to the portal, or Donnell Harris is going to the portal, or Tumi Ciadele is going to the portal, uh, Elijah Judy is going to the portal. Okay, it's fine. But you still look at that defense and you see Shamar Stewart, McKinley Jackson, Shamar Turner, Fadil Diggs. Like, those guys played and played well. Like, Isaiah Rake's coming back. He's played a lot of football. And then, on top of that, you get DJ Hicks coming in. He's going to play. He's going to be somebody who helps his football team. That D-line is going to be great. Here's what I saw in that D-line last year. And actually, when I talked to DJ later in the year, he, he said, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Super talented, very powerful, quick, fast, all the intangibles, size, their versatility. Certain guys can go inside, can line up outside, still rush the passer. A lot of them didn't know where to be or didn't know where to go or didn't understand how to stay in the right places at the right times and do the right thing. It was just, it was a lot of freelancing last year. And with youth, that comes. It's not a big problem. Nothing for anybody to be all mad about at a certain individual. It just, it happens at times because those guys ain't played a ton of snaps. That group's going to be for real. And that offsets almost everything else that we're going to talk about. Because I'm a little worried about linebacker, to be perfectly honest with you. I am. I don't know if they have that dude. Uh, whether it's Edgerin Cooper, Chris Russell, I, Tyreek Chappell, don't know. I, I, I don't look at the linebacker core and say, yes, that group is going to just flat out get it. It's a little bit concerning to me. And, you know, I, I, I think that maybe in the portal after spring, you, you go try to find a guy. Uh, you know, you got, you know, Aiden C now from Rice coming in. I don't know if he's going to really do much and be able to help you. That D line can offset a little bit of what those guys do. But I, I, do you look at maybe an Anai White? 
an edge defender that's getting some reps there. Damani Richardson, bigger safety, and you have some pretty good numbers in the secondary. Does he slide down? Or do you find ways to play him down a little bit more to give you the vision and the wherewithal and the understanding of how things are developing? Possibly, I don't know. And I haven't even heard any of that's going to happen, but it's just it's things that a and is going to have the ability to tinker with because of some of the other numbers. Like you look at uh, Jacoby Matthews, Bryce Anderson on the back end. I know the coaching staff likes those guys. Um, you know, Anderson was nickel last year. I think he'll be in that role again, but he's got the versatility to move around. Um, you know, you look at Jared Kerr, who I think could potentially help. He had a good game against Alabama. The numbers are there. And corner's fine with Grimes, super solid. Tyreek Chapel, super solid. I am a little worried about depth at corner, but some of these depth concerns, we, we're going to say that about every team that we preview. So it's, it's once again, it's not that I'm going to look at this and say, oh, you know, A&M, if, if, if this doesn't work out, it's going to be the difference between 11 wins and seven wins. It's, it's not to that extent, just not the way that I'm going to view it. So I, there's a lot to like about this team. The staff needs to get on the same page. If we do that to an extent, I think this thing has a chance to exceed a lot of expectations. And when I say a lot of expectations, I mean a lot. Now, last year, I think everybody was out over their skis with Texas A&M. Top five, number three, whatever that was. Like, I mean, I you guys can find me a lot of different places saying that going into last year. Like, I just did not see it that way. It just, it, it wasn't really what I thought that team was going to be. It's going to take a lot of guys and a lot of position groups staying healthy, but there is a lot of reason to believe that this thing could be pretty good. Now, right out of the gate, New Mexico, you're fine. When you're at Miami, that's a team with a ton of holes. It's a team that A&M should beat. It's a team that A&M is more talented than. they got a good coaching staff, and they still do have some real talent. Louisiana Monroe, and then you get Auburn at home. Auburn's got a brand new head coach. Don't know what that thing's going to look like. Arkansas. Problems outside of quarterback. Then you get Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, at Ole Miss. So a little bit similar to last year, there's a, there's a run in the middle, like right behind the halfway point that's going to be really tough. Bama, at Tennessee, South Carolina, at Ole Miss. It's a tough stretch, but it's, it's not what that month and a half away from home was last year. And if you have a little more health and the staff's a little bit more on the same page, I think there's a chance that this could be some good things that are working for Texas A&M. You have multiple backs that can help you. Tight ends that can give you different surfaces. A coordinator now that can move some things with a true move guy in the slot that can go in the backfield, that can catch quick passes and turn them into explosive plays. You have receivers on the outside that can win one-on-ones. Like Evan Stewart's not a big, he's not 6'5", but like we've seen him win one-on-ones, just like we've seen Muhammad do the same thing. Like they've won those balls down the field. They get more favorable matchups. They can do that more often. Defensively, you're going to have a disruptive defensive line with pretty good depth. Actually, just, I'm just going to say with good depth. It's not even pretty good. They have really good depth. And you have different type guys that can be problematic. Like, I mean, you look at Stewart, who can just rip it off the edge. Diggs can go down inside. Walter Nolan can go down inside. McKinley Jackson is your more squatty, wide, super quick lateral movement guy. He was the guy that I hated to block when I was in college. When I played center at Auburn, if you'd have given me all those guys I named, I would have said, if I could remove one from practice every day, McKinley Jackson would have been that dude because his face mask is like six inches off the ground in his stance. 
and you know he's not, his pad level is never going to be high. He's always going to be a pain in the rear end of block. So I, I love the D-line. The offensive line has a chance. Depth is going to be a concern. And do we have everybody on the same page? Some of those questions come around. Some of those concerns come around. This thing could be pretty good for A&M. So going to be fun to follow through the spring, give you some updates throughout it, see where things are headed, what we're hearing. But right now I'm high on A&M and what they can do and what I think they can be going into this season. Speaking of A&M, I know Ross Bjork's a fan of Blue Delta Jeans, the Texas A&M athletic director. I am as well. One of our sponsors here on the show. Go to BlueDeltaJeans.com. Get your custom denim. See what beautiful denim feels like. Flexible, breathable. You're not going to ever want to wear another pair of jeans. I promise you, you will not want to wear other jeans after you have a pair of Blue Delta jeans. Custom made to fit you. They're going to look beautiful and they're going to feel great. BlueDeltaJeans.com. They and Wickles Pickles bring you our podcast each and every week. We're back with another spring preview next week. Continue to give you all the news of what's going on as well. We're back every Sunday at Cube Show Instagram, at Cube Show Twitter, at Cube Show 61 on YouTube. Please subscribe. Please give us comments. Please tweet in what you want to hear about, what you want us to talk about. We'd love to get to those and answer your questions. We're going to be back next week with another edition. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.